just get it out there you know get it growing like charge people money you know put a paywall up. easier to say than do <laughs> Five hundred bucks today, or whatever, is like the equivalent of five million bucks twenty years ago. I think it's a like a really stark reminder that not everybody may agree with you. Juvenile Paul over here is like, "What do you mean? What's wrong? Like, if email's not working, it's less stuff to deal with every day. This is great. <laughs> What's the problem?" <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, welcome back to the Results Junkies podcast. I am staring out my window on the 16th floor of the Resorts World Las Vegas uh, Convention Center, staring out uh, on the Las Vegas Strip. And uh, and Paul, you are uh, you're hanging in your basement, man. How are you? I, I'm home. I, I love that you just flexed on all of us with your uh, with the details of exactly what floor you're on and all that. <laughs> if you're not a travel uh, a travel pro, I don't know what you are. If somebody knocks on my door in the next few minutes, I'm going to be pretty upset. Uh, right. I'm, uh, I'm at home, uh, you know, optimizing for a lot of pool time with the kids every afternoon. So, uh, life is, life is tough as you can imagine. <laughs> it does, it does sound like it's tough. Yeah. It's like 113, 114 degrees out here. It's disgusting. Oh God. Oh man. Yeah. Well, I think we've both had some, I think the pre-show was actually really interesting. Both of us have had really, uh, interesting weeks, uh, fighting with important, but unseen parts of our our respective businesses. I think it'd be fun to kind of like talk about it. So uh, when I got on the call with you this morning or just a little while ago, I, I rarely see you flustered and frustrated, uh, but today's the day. So tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, to that point, like if this had happened even five years ago, I think we'd be in even worse shape. But our primary email server, um, which is hosted through Rackspace, is, um, is just causing all sorts of problems. And I've got users who can't access their email at all, including me, and then some users that can access it on certain devices and not others. And I've got uh, Rackspace giving us reasons that don't match up to any of it. And, uh, you know, it's like, I, I thought it was interesting, like your first question was like, well, why aren't you on Gmail? And, and it's something we've been considering for a while. We, you know, Rackspace was always phenomenal customer service and, um, and, and things were just, everything just worked. So we didn't really contemplate a move. We've begun contemplating a move fairly recently, but I also think it's, I mean, I think, I think it's really a testimony to where the the business world has moved and maybe the world in general too. But because if this had happened five years ago, we would have been completely screwed. And now the team is, you know, heavily using Slack in the past 24 hours because we have that as a path and we've got iMessage because we all have iPhones. Um, you know, and I've got, you know, backup Gmail accounts. So, there are other ways that we're communicating and staying in touch as a team. This is certainly very crippling, but um, but we can still function, um, which, you know, like I said, Slack is what, maybe five years old? I don't actually know when they were founded, but if we didn't have Slack right now, I think we'd be dead in the water. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I, I, I really do want to be respectful of the frustration you're feeling, but man, this is just wild to me. It's just wild to me that like email problems, it's something that you don't even think about I feel like I haven't had to think about this in like 20 years. Uh, yeah. And when you were explaining what was going on, uh, at least more of the details of it a few minutes ago, like it brings back these awful memories of myself, you know, 20, 25 years ago when we used to have to run our own email servers and our own spam filtering software. I mean, this is like way before Hotmail and all that stuff. And it's just, of course, it would always break in the middle of the night. And, um, yeah. But, you know, anyway, like I, I, I feel for you. But at, at the same time, like, 
blood-sucking capitalist me all of a sudden see something here where it's like, well, wait a second, this could be this could be kind of interesting. Like part of the amongst the various reasons why you guys probably can't migrate to something else is is probably more more about like the training issue. You know, you got all your employees across all the restaurants everywhere, whatever, using this 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 you know Outlook system, and just training them again would be a nightmare. Yeah. But but the I think it's an interesting opportunity because. It, you know, again, I'm trying to be respectful of the frustration you're feeling, but the, you know, when we think about like all the complexity of what you guys have, for example, with, you know, domain aliases and, and, uh, all the various accounts and all the settings you have on Outlook and stuff like that. I mean, those are all crawlable things that, you know, a script could pull out for you, set up on a new target system and then migrate all the users and the mail. I mean, it's, again, I'm not saying it's, easy but i do find it interesting that it's it's simple and and there's actually a lot of a lot of businesses that lately that have used you know uh white i'm doing air quotes here white glove migration services to to onboard customers and and get them uh you know to, to grow the business so anyway i I, yeah. I don't mean to go too long on it but i just think it's really interesting that you're that, that like email i mean that that seems like such a thing that we all overlook uh, and we just sort of expect it to work. I mean, I, I don't even know what I would do if, you know, email wasn't working, but, um, yeah. anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I'm trying to be really respectful, man, because I know it's frustrating too. So, uh, <laughs> like, like, you know, uh, juvenile Paul over here is like, what do you mean? What's wrong? Like if email's not working, it's less stuff to deal with every day. This is great. <laughs> What's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Yeah, and um, I think I think just looking at where where you're at, um, you know, we talked about on the show that you were launching Beacon, and um, and boy, I mean, like when I look at the charts that you're sending me, I'm I think I'm seeing all the good stuff. Um, you're sending me all this like spicy stuff on search terms and what people are talking about. I'm like, oh, this is all awesome, and um, it sounds like maybe. <laughs> Maybe the back end isn't quite as smooth as that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's so, so long story short, I, uh, and I hesitate to even call it a launch. It's really more just like building it in public now. And so I published the, uh, the page at getbeacons.com last, uh, you know, a couple of days ago, I guess. And, um, so it's been interesting watching people sign up, uh, watching the, the search engine start to crawl it. You know, it's millions of pages, which uh, if for the SEO experts listening, like I realize I shouldn't have started with that many pages, but but here we are. Um, and and like a lot of people responded to my my weekly newsletter with you know bug reports and optimiz- uh, ideas to make it better. So thank you for that, by the way, that was amazing. But what I ran into uh, very quickly was like some some underlying, uh, not necessarily problems, but if I don't deal with them, the costs of this thing are going to skyrocket. Like they're already pretty high. We're talking about, you know, thousands of dollars a month already in, in costs associated with, you know, processing all this stuff. Um, but you know, as the data scales, we're talking about it scaling to tens of thousands and scarily enough, hundreds of thousands of dollars a month, if I don't get this under control quickly. Um, so I, I, I'll tell you as much as you want to know, or people want to know about it, but the, but the gist of it is, is that uh, last week, on last week's episode, I said something about how I was so amazed by, you know, what's possible for a solo developer now, just given all yeah. the APIs out there and serverless systems like Google Firebase or, you know, Amazon's version of that and all that. 
Um, but I, I think I need to walk it back now. Like, obviously, this is ironic. It's only a week later. I think I need to walk it back just a little bit and say that I, I do still think it's amazing what a solo developer can make. You know, the, the, the number of APIs and services available are amazing. This is so cool for what people can do in terms of prototyping. But, but if you get any real, you know, usage or, um, you know, uh, intensity on your systems, the costs skyrocket very, very quickly. Uh, and so you got to be careful about that. So again, I, I'm just walking it back a little bit and saying that, you know, uh, serverless and all these APIs are really cool until you get a little bit of usage. And then all those seemingly little charges add up super fast. And I'll, I'll give you one, you know, example, just to kind of like make this, you know, um, um, more, more obvious. So for example, when you think about like Cloud Firestore, which is like a, a database in the cloud, you know, that Google's got and, and Amazon's got one, everybody's got one. Uh, Google, for example, charges you 18 cents every time you write to 100,000 items in your database, which that seems pretty cheap, actually. You know, that's not a, that's pretty cool. And I right guess, now, I think- a uh, lot of instances. <laughs> well, yeah, like in our case, like there's, there's uh, 4 million, well, as of the time we're recording this, there's something like 4 million- um, topics in, you know, unique topics that need to be updated at least once a day just to see, you know, how often people are talking about them. So you can divide that out 4 million divided by a hundred thousand. Okay. We're not talking a whole lot. We're talking about maybe let's just call it five bucks a day in terms of just writing the updates to that, to those topics every day. That's not the end of the world, right? But the underlying cost that you don't think about is the processing time required to do all that because there's, there's, um, I forget what they call it in their documentation, but it's like CPUs per second and gigabytes per second. Like, you know, something's got to actually go do the computations necessary to update all these things. So while it might only cost five bucks to do, um, you know, uh, 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 you know, to write all those files, the thing you got to think about is, is 4 million topics have to be updated about once every 24 hours. So like, let's just divide that out per hour. So 4 million divided by 24 hours in the day. I can't do the math right now, but let's call that, you know, 200,000, um, <laughs> 300,000 topics that have to be updated every hour. Well, now divide that out by per second. You've got to be doing lots per second. So where I'm going with this is, is that now you've got hundreds of uh, simultaneous servers running uh, or, or processes running. And, and anyway, the point of all this is like the, the costs skyrocket very, very quickly. Like, it, you know, we're, we were uh, before I like really throttled it back a couple days ago, uh, we were scaling into the thousand dollar a day territory. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So the good news is there's a solution to this. And the bad news is it's old school. <laughs> so uh, this week, I've had to like rewrite a lot of the back end heavy processing into um, uh, uh, functions that will run on servers that I'm setting up, and and then moving the data itself into my SQL, which you know, again, probably going to go over the head of most people listening to this. But you know, for for people that have been in the industry for 15, 20 years, like it's it's kind of like the the you know the the old school stuff the tried and true stuff my sql databases have been around for 
decades and Larry Ellison made a ton of money off of them, I think, at Oracle. So uh, <laughs> anyway, so I'm, I'm going, I guess this is going to sound so cliche. I'm going back to the future with, uh, with Beacon here. Um, so by the time, by the time this podcast comes out, uh, the migration will be complete to my sequel. Users won't know the difference. It, you know, we're not, it, you won't even know, but behind the scenes, it'll drop the cost from like a thousand dollars a day to like a thousand dollars a month, at least in terms of hosting. Um, and then I can kind of start to fix a lot of the front end bugs that everybody's been reporting. So, uh, that was a mouthful there, but you know, I, I guess we're both fighting with things that are important, but behind the scenes for, for both, both businesses here. Well, and I wonder too, um, cause like the folks, so I like, you know, uh, we did the crossover where I talked about my other podcast miles to go and, and not to dig too deeply into that side of things, but you know, we have, um, we have a, a an award ceremony that we do every year, the Freddie awards and the folks that built us that platform are at, le at least from my opinion, like they're super smart developers based on what they do. And, you know, Freddie Awards gets hammered pretty hard during the voting process. You know, like Marriott will drop a mailer and, you know, we'll we'll start getting, you know, thousands of ballots per minute. And we normally get like, you know, 30 or 40 million voters over the span of 45 days. You know, but our hosting bill for the Freddies for that 45 days is measured in like tens of dollars. Um, like I think it goes, like I think we've broken into the hundreds at this point over the course of 45 mm -hmm. days, but it's really, really cheap to have all those instances of serving up the ballot to everyone and you know the, the, and all that stuff and, and I'm, I'm pretty sure we're on one of the Google platforms and they've just found a way to make it incredibly resource light so our our hosting costs are like almost zero and I, I do like that stuff fascinates me in terms of how developers sort of peel back the layers and build something that's I don't know if the right term would be asset light but you know like doesn't need a, doesn't need a lot to run well yeah yeah I mean in, in this you know, really just reinforces that, uh, I think that topic we talked about an episode or two ago about how I think there's, you know, three kinds of, uh, startups now and, and, or three kinds of possibilities now. And, you know, on the one extreme, you got the stuff that's like big and expensive and that's the same as it's always been. And then on the other extreme, you've got what you're talking about, which is like, you know, it's so cheap now to, 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 to put a landing page up somewhere um, yeah. but now there's this like interesting new third category right in the middle where it, it, it does, it's not as quite as expensive as, you know, you know, the, the, the first group I talked about, but it's definitely more expensive than the, the latter group. Um, yeah. so, yeah. and it, it's just wild. I think the implications of that are just wild, uh, not only for entrepreneurs, but, but, but also for investors like you and me, uh, what did we say? I think back on the tech tour, we used to say something like, you know, 500 bucks today or whatever is like the equivalent of 5 million bucks 20 years yeah. ago. Uh, and that's definitely true. Um, you know, back, like, the, you, back when there were physical servers that you were mounting in racks and now it's like, you can just like press a button and have a server up and running. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, again, this is probably like not rocket science to everybody listening to this, but I mean, just think about it. Like if you want to come up with an idea, let's just say you want a new email address today. You can just sign up at gmail.com for example. And, <laughs> Uh, oh, it's for your business. Well, you can just like buy a domain and then hide the gmail.com piece and make it whatever you want. Like you can do this all within like 20 minutes and, and like 15 bucks or something. That's just amazing. Cause 20 years ago I had to go find a spare server. <laughs> you had to find a spare server. You had to like yeah. plug it in somewhere. You had to get data to it. And back uh, anyway, I'm like, you know, we're 
talking like two old curmudgeons or something like that. But <laughs> <laughs> we, well, in fairness, I at least one of us is an old curmudgeon. I don't, I don't know about you, but I, yeah, I am definitely an old curmudgeon, and probably will be in, in through throughout the course of this entire email migration, like trying to relearn yeah. all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, like I, switching gears for just a second here, you know, back to Beacon for a second. Um, I will say that aside from all the backend stuff I've been thinking about, um, I really have been thinking a lot more about uh, monetization. Um, so I, I tweeted something this week that uh, I, I mean, I guess it went viral. I mean, at the time of this recording, it's been up for about 24 hours and it's got about 500,000 impressions on it, uh, on Twitter nice. and it keeps, keeps growing. Um, you know, a couple thousand likes and all that stuff. And, and, and basically like I, I kind of meant it as sort of a joke where I said something like, you know, first time founder describes their company as like two sided marketplace, da 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 jargon, jargon. Second time founder says, uh, here's how I make you money or save you time. Here's how you pay me. Uh, and I guess it struck a nerve with people and, and like, to be fair, I, I, you know, I was thinking about it actually, the reason I wrote it was because I was thinking about it in the context of Beacon where I was like, okay, like even just in the first few days of the site being public, it's been really fascinating how many people have reached out to talk about partnerships, to talk about sponsorships, to talk about all these things. And it really kind of gets my gears turning this week a lot about, you know, what does monetization for something like this look like? And so as I kind of ramble this out, I'm, you know, if anybody's got any ideas here, I hope you'll sort of, you know, either tweet at us publicly or uh, email us at show at resultsjunkies.com and, and tell me what you think. But, um, you know, I think the, 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 the question now is, is how do you monetize something like Beacon? Um, you know, and to keep it simple, I think on one side, there's, you know, it's like software as a service and, you know, people can pay for, uh, I don't know, alerts or something. I, I like, there's a couple ideas there where it's like, it could be a software as a service thing. And, you know, for big corporations, small corporations, whatever. Um, but then all the way on the other extreme, it's like, what if it's just like sponsorships? Like, what if, you know, like, and again, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm like purposely being, you know, vague about this. Cause I don't want to like guide people's opinions or advice back to me, but like there's pros and cons at a high level. It's like, if I go with a software as a service model, the benefit of that is, is that like I can, you know, more, I can create a bunch of tiers of pricing and I can make it like nine bucks for the startup that wants to track certain terms with their brand name. And I can make it 10,000 bucks a month for like the capital ones of the world that want to hear about wherever they're talked about, you know, every day in podcasts. Like, so there's the pros of that. I can, I can more like, you know, you know, discreetly, you know, uh, uh, create different levels, if you will. And, and, and that's cool. Uh, but the downside of that is it's much more complicated. You got to build a lot more stuff to to support all that. Um, on the other extreme, but but that model is tried and true. Uh, on the other extreme, there's like stuff like sponsorships where it's like, hey, you know, pay a thousand bucks a day or a month, and you know, you're you'll we'll get you this many impressions on the website and the in the weekly emails or whatever. The pros of that is that it's extremely simple to build. Uh, well, comparatively to what I, you know, the SaaS model, uh, the, the downside of that is you're leaving a lot of money on the table. Um, and so, you know, uh, anyway, I, let me pause there. I'm kind of curious, like what your gut reaction is. And, and I'm, I'm, I hope anybody listening to this will, uh, at this point will also throw their hat in the ring with just send me an email or tweet at me, but curious what you think. Like, how do you, like, 
how do you monetize this? What, what would you, how would you think about this? Well, you know, it's interesting you say it because I feel like this sort of gets back to some of the stuff that we've talked about just as you've launched. And I know it's not sound like I'm not answering the question, but I'm like looking at the chart that's up on the front page of Beacons and I'm seeing like all these topics that, you know, um, I knew were popular sports stuff, things like that, that I follow um, and like seeing the, the spikes and stuff like that. Um, and I just, you know, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with what your intention is. Um, but I, I, one is I one, I don't know that you've had Beacon launched long enough and gotten enough people to use it to really have a great sense of who's going to be the best group to monetize it. Um, my my gut still feels the same as before, though it's starting to shift with all these different spikes that there might be some sort of pay to play model. But like my gut still kind of sort of rolls around this idea of finding a couple of folks with deep pockets who really need to see all the mentions of their products on podcasts who would mm -hmm. pay for the next set of features and, you know, and would have no problem writing a five-figure check or potentially a six-figure check to do so because you'd be exposing them to thousands of mentions of something that was important to their business. Yeah, well, I'm going to be half joking and half serious when I say this, but if you know these people, introduce me. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and that goes for anybody listening. I don't even think you're half yeah. joking. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I'm totally serious, by the way, for whether it's you or anybody listening to this, like if, if you know of anybody that's interested in something like this, send them my way. I'd at least love to have the conversation because, um, well, anyway, this is a forcing function for me to just get the full search systems exposed so that people can use them. Um, just, to, yeah. Look, at a high level, I agree with you, by the way. I think it's too early to kind of, really have an idea of how people are going to use this thing. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, you know what, can, let me just kind of be really candid with you. I, the, the, the constant struggle I have on a personal note with this entire project is that operator Paul and investor Paul, uh, like I'm trying to, I feel like I'm not, uh, what's the word? I'm not being like true to what I've told other people to do. So investor Paul always tells people like, just get it out there you know, get it growing, like charge people money, you know, put a paywall up. Easier to say than do. Right. And then operator <laughs> Paul is like, well, hang on. You know, it's kind of a guess as to what people will find valuable enough to pay for. Let's get it out there. And that's the constant struggle these days is like, you know, what, what uh, whose advice am I taking here? Like, am I being, you know, hypocritical by, by not putting a paywall up or am I being smart by not putting a paywall up? Um, so maybe this is my, uh, uh, you know, maybe the people listening to this are all going to become my de facto. This is like my therapy in the cloud, if you will, <laughs> this podcast. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, well, I'll tell you what I'm operating on right now. Like my entire mindset at the moment, unless you or anybody else sends me better advice right now, is rewrite this back end this week to keep the costs reasonable which then allows me to kind of eat the costs even longer. Do you know what I mean? Like I can let the runway go even longer yes, on this no, thing. No, I agree. So, so the current thinking is, is like expose all the data, expose everything, just make it, make it crawlable, searchable, make it all exposed and let's just see what happens. And then I can always pull back features later or put certain things behind paywalls later. Um, that's the current thinking. Uh, so, uh, I hope you guys, uh, I hope you and others will will call me out either publicly or privately and 
tell me why that's a dumb idea. <laughs> no, this is like the smartest thing I think you could do right now is buy yourself runway. And it goes back to the things we say to founders all the time. But like, if you can crush the costs down on this thing so that it you can keep it out there and up and running and, you know, this you know, fire hose of information that it's providing for folks and, and exposing folks to how many times, you know, things can be mentioned in a podcast that they'd never hear about it. I just feel like the the longer you can make this cheap, the more likely you are to find some unique use cases of people who um yeah. you know who who help help solve this piece of like, hey, here's how we're gonna monetize. So like if you can get the costs down short term, even if it means Hey, we talked about this very recently, sacrificing features, um, you know, but but get you to a sustainable level where you can, you know, get, you know, thousands of people looking at it and giving feedback. Like I, that, there's somebody out there that's going to help answer this question yeah. and probably multiple somebodies. Yep. Yep. I agree. I agree. Um, well, let's see. Uh, hopefully these are not famous last words, but hopefully I will have this migration done by the time this podcast is out, <laughs> uh, which should make beacon even easier to use and by then i should be able to have the time to also crush a lot of the, the bugs that people reported well all right so let's switch gears one more time then so um i like we were talking a little bit about this or we just touched on this really briefly but i didn't get your thoughts in the pre-show uh what's your what's your how do you feel about this whole twitter lawsuit with with elon now <laughs> Like it just feels like we're watching a slow motion train wreck. <laughs> well, and I think just like when we've talked about it in the past, I think we need to very clearly define, you know, when we're recording and what's currently going on because God knows what can change in the next week. But the last news that I saw was that a judge had granted Twitter's request to have um, a quicker trial on this and that, the, that it's supposed to go to trial in in October now, which, you know, is, isn't a lot of time to prepare for something this massive so you know i mean okay so i guess like first and foremost because like going back to like our very first uh discussion on this um you know full disclosure i own a very small amount of twitter stock um and i bought it when this whole thing bubbled up and, and as of right now it's like it's right around 40 bucks a share and that's right around what i paid for it um and going back to your comments about trying to predict the markets um yeah i was sort of seeing if there was you know some quick money here if he did close the sale and you know, the stock price spiked up and, you know, people, you know, got 50 bucks a share and, and all that good stuff. So I think I could still lose here because I could see the stock going back down, though I am, you know, a little surprised that it's that's not down um, that much today. I guess it probably took, you know, a little bit, it was down a little bit from yesterday. So w with all that being said, it's like, I think this is a very interesting question. I, like, I think the thing that's more interesting to me than, whether he'll buy it or not is just this interesting piece of, you know, like how would you verify what spam accounts are on Twitter? And like for all the founders that are out there that are thinking about selling their company who have a passionate belief in who their customers are and what their customers do, I think it's a, I think it's a, like a really stark reminder that not everybody may agree with you. And that may drastically impede your ability to sell your company for what you think it's worth because somebody else might value your customer differently or in this case count your customers differently and it's just a 
it's just not something that that was 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 top of mind before this whole Twitter Elon Musk thing happened. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's a it's a good point. Like I, I don't know, cynical me is I, like who wins in all this? I just I don't I don't get it. What's the maybe these are like billionaire problems that you and I don't know enough about. Like like maybe they find fun in this, but I'm trying to just rationalize this whole thing. Like wouldn't it just be more rational for everybody to just walk away like if 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 one party wants to walk away like what's an extra billion dollars going to do here like if they get him to pay the billion dollars i like do you you know what i'm saying like what's the what's the end game here like what how's it going to help you with your stock price like you own some stock like what is the ultimate outcome of something like this that's going to meaningfully help you as the shareholder i I don't get that part Yeah, I, like I like certainly there's costs that the company has borne so far. So there's like a little bit of shareholder damage there. But I can't imagine it's anywhere near a billion dollars in hard costs. I mean, certainly there could be soft costs of reputational costs. But I mean, in my opinion, if if Twitter's been done reputational harm by Elon exposing some like massive amount of fake accounts, which I'm not saying this is the case. But if that's the case, to your point, a billion dollars doesn't make the shareholders whole either. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I got you. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I, I would be, I'd be surprised. So there's two things here. First off, I'd be surprised if this was a quick trial and I'd also be a little surprised. I, I, I wouldn't say unprecedented, um, but can you recall any instance where a court compelled someone to pay, you know, billions and billions of dollars for a company they don't want to buy? Like, I think it's a little unprecedented. Yeah, that's, yeah, I, I cannot. Um, and, and then there's the added, uh, you know, uh, wrinkle of like, even if you could do that, how do you enforce it? It actually does get paid, you know, like at least in civil courts. And that's stuff. what I mean. Like, yeah. how do you, how do you, like, yeah, like what's the, what's the, like, what's the, like, you know, Twitter's market cap is whatever it is. Yeah. Know, 25 billion, 30 billion, whatever. Like, you know, I mean, so, you know, and like at the sale price, it's probably, Forty billion dollars he's supposed to pay, like it's some massive number. Yeah. yeah. How do you how do you enforce that? How, like, what? Who's gonna who's gonna make that? Like, here, come on, Elon. We're gonna yeah. give us your bank account. Key it in here. We're gonna move that forty billion over. I, I, like, I, I know people don't like. I would imagine people don't jump onto this podcast to hear about you know Twitter and Elon. But I think one of the things that it's worth thinking about is is you know like I guess maybe how we think about it. And I, I here's the thing. So. Um, I can't remember. I don't know if I'm saying this the right way, but are you familiar with o- Occam's Razor? Oh yeah, o- Occam's Razor. Yep. Occam's Razor. Okay. Yep. So yep. with Very Occam's Razor, if you look at like, yeah, if you look at Occam's Razor for this, right? Um, the simplest reason they're probably pursuing this is because while they probably already know even more about you know the risks that come with this, like you just outlined, like you know what about the precedent? Uh, how do you even even if you win, wh- how do you get the money? Da da da. Like they know about all these things. So if you look at it through Occam's razor, which says it's probably the simplest reason or the simplest thing, uh, it's probably because not doing anything is just going to inflame the shareholders. That's a good point. Would you agree? No, it's a good, it's, and I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're right. It's a good point. Like they, the shareholders probably expect some pound of flesh. Yeah. Somebody's going to get hurt. The mob probably wants somebody to get hurt, you know? And so if you're an executive at, at, Twitter and you're sitting there thinking personally like, okay, so glad this is over with. I don't have to deal with it anymore. You're also thinking about, oh, but wait, is the the mob or the shareholders going to come after me for not doing anything? 
And so that's, that it causes like these interesting, like people do interesting things when there's pressure, whether it's real or perceived. And, and I don't know, I, you know, I, I just, I find this whole thing fascinating to watch because like on the one side you see, like, at least for me, what I find really interesting on the, on the Elon side is like, this is a masterful negotiation in public kind of tactic, which I just think there's a lot to be learned on how he's done this for better or for worse. And then on the other side, on the Twitter side, uh, I find it really interesting on, you know, again, I don't know anything about the inside of the business, but just watching what they're doing publicly or saying publicly, I find it interesting to see how they're responding. Like I, again, going back to this lawsuit, like who, if we were talking about this a month ago and I said to you, I bet you that if Elon walks away, Twitter's going to sue him to close the deal. You would have laughed. I think everybody would have laughed, <laughs> but, but here we are. And it's like, well, why is that? I think the most likely reason is because inaction or the perception of inaction is going to infuriate the mob. And then they're going to want the head of at least one of the execs uh, or the board. And those execs and board don't want to be the one, <laughs> you know? So uh, you say you're going to go to court. Well, and I also wonder like too, as we, pe as we peel the layers back here on them going to court and it's a little bit early, like they've said that they're suing to enforce the sale, to be clear. I, I do wonder if the contract requires them to sue to enforce the sale in order to collect the billion because he's saying he doesn't have to pay the billion. Um, or if they really like, would they, like, and if you were in that boardroom right now, you know, would they take a billion dollars to just end this and move on? I, you know, who knows? I mean, I, I would imagine just like in any other court case, there'll be some sort of a discussion about settlement mm -hmm. at some point, just based on litigation costs. Yeah. But yep. I mean, I wonder, I wonder if their primary goal here is to get the billion or if their primary goal is to get shareholder value and, and sell the company for, you know, whatever it was, 52 something a share. Well, I guess maybe we'll look back at this episode in a couple months and see what's right or where we end up. Because I, I actually think, like, I have a feeling this is all just going to kind of, um, I, I think the reason, I don't think they're, I don't think Twitter really wants him to buy it. And I don't think he really wants to buy it anymore. But I think this whole, you know, lawsuit or threaded lawsuit now is really just more about um, Twitter execs and Twitter board members not becoming the scapegoats for, you know, the perception of in, uh, in, um, uh, the perception of, a you know, inactivity or, or, or whatever. Um, so I have a feeling this whole thing's going to kind of like disappear <laughs> somehow it'll, whether it's through a settlement or, you know, a judge dismissing it or somebody, you know, quote unquote winning, this thing's going to go away. And this is really just to keep people's jobs. That's, that's about it. I bet. Um, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, it'll definitely impact people's jobs. It, it may impact their share price. Um, but I think along the way, I think we're, I think it's still, it's still a fascinating discussion. And I still think there are layers that you and I can peel back on things like, you know, why did this happen? You know, like, I, certainly like Elon could have been smoke screening the entire time. But this, you know, this, this question about fake accounts is a, a real question for, you know, plenty of founders out there. And I, I hope it gives some of our listeners thoughts on, um, you know, how would you, and you've always said this, you know, I've heard you say it, and I think it's a, a great way to say it. It's, you know, like, how do you go about being acquired versus selling your company? And, you know, with that difference being of like, how do you make a case for your numbers and the, you know, the, the product that you offer that it's so compelling that somebody else has to have it, that they want to buy it from. Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. 
All right. Well, I think that's probably a good place to put a pin in it for this week. Uh, you're you're flying yeah. home. Uh, well, you've got two flights booked home, it sounds like. <laughs> so at some point soon, you're coming home, it sounds uh, this like. This is the greatest thing about... This this is the greatest thing about no change fees on uh, on airlines now. If you travel for a living, is I have a ticket booked on United and a ticket booked on Delta, and depending on how much work I get done and what happens, I'll take one of those flights and I'll cancel the other one and I'll just use the credit um, for the future. So I'm uh, super excited about that. Uh, but uh, the, probably the part I'm least excited about and 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 yet at the same time most excited about is I will fly home. Uh, I think I'm on the ground for. Well, I guess if I take the earlier flight, I'll be on the ground for like. 27 28 hours um and if i take the later flight it'll be like 20 hours and then we turn right around and go to disney world for a week with a family so good for you man good for you this is maybe a naive question but like (laughs) there's no way for you to get your money out though right it all has to be like if you can't if you like if if i as a regular traveler did what you did and and bought two tickets on two different airlines and i cancel one I can't like get the money back, right? It's just, it's locked up in there until I want to use it again. It's a voucher or travel voucher or whatever. Is that how that works? Generally speaking. So there's, there's two ways it's not, and neither one of them is very pleasant. One is the airlines still do still sell refundable fares, which I think are a joke for most people just because the cost difference, like if it's a $300 non-refundable ticket, it's probably $600 or $550 for a refundable ticket. So you're paying a tremendous premium to buy a non-refundable ticket or sorry, to buy a refundable ticket. The other thing is, is that if you have some sort of a massive schedule change or cancellation on the airline's part, they will typically refund it. Outside of that, yeah, you're stuck with a voucher. So this this really only works if you know you're going to travel frequently. Um, and oddly, I travel frequently. Got it. <laughs> Got it. Well, I wish you the best of luck taking one of those flights home. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> one, of them's, one of them's a red eye from Vegas, and I hate eight eight short red eyes like four hour flight like how much sleep you're gonna get and then you wake up you get off the plane at seven o'clock in the morning and you're just toast those are rough man those are rough but hey i commend you for like that's the best on a personal note like that's the thing i always find so fascinating about watching you on a personal note is like you'll you'll suck it up and do all that just to make sure that like you know you 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 get back to wherever the kids or the family need you and that's that's super commendable i love that you'll you'll appreciate this as our daughter's doing her first ever sleepaway camp right now and um and she's 16 so like like there's a big deal for her a lot of anxiety around it and she knows i'm getting home late friday night and as i started putting the pieces together it was like well shoot if i can get everything done and i take the red eye and it lands on time and 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 i can get to the house about 15 minutes before my wife leaves to drive uh, the hour drive to go pick her up from camp and i could do all of this and just surprise my daughter and so it's like you know what like that's like i could i could you know if my wife drives like maybe i catch a little nap in the car like this this could work but we'll see (laughs) (laughs) i love it man i love it all right well safe travels uh um it's always fun i'll talk to you in a couple days so i'll i'll stay out of your way while you're sleep deprived <laughs> and I also know I probably shouldn't email you because you're not going to get it anyway for the next day or two. Well, you could just re- you want you want to just reconfigure my email while I'm traveling. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, I'll do that if you want to like write all these MySQL queries for me. Uh, it seems like a fair trade. <laughs> yeah, one of us is going to be happier than the other. I'll write <laughs> <Doubtful>. them, <laughs> but your yeah. stuff's a whole lot more likely to work than mine. <laughs> ah, fair enough. Fair enough. 
All right, man. Well, happy. Uh, have a great week. Um, enjoy Vegas. I know you always will. Uh, and uh, Instagram some more pictures of your food. I, um, I, I, that's the one thing I miss about travel. <laughs> <laughs> will do, man. All right, buddy. Talk to you soon. See ya.